Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Uh, well, another poor result after that huge spending spree in the January window and a second game in a week without a goal and a proven Premier League goal scorer can't even make the bench. So, almost a year since Roman Abramovich announced his intentions to sell the club, what's going wrong at Chelsea and where is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Set. Magnificent. And who else but James Any criticism you get is understandable. You know, I think we've had a, a tough period, and I think we've had uh, lots of challenges in terms of integrating young players into the into the Premier League. And I'm sure there'll be people out there that will think I'm the I'm the problem. Absolutely, and I understand. I don't think they're right, but I can. I'm not arrogant enough to say that they're. Uh, that their opinion isn't worth um, articulating. So joining us for this one, the Athletic Simon Johnson and David Ornstein. Where would you like to begin, Simon? I feel like I'm in your hands on this one. I suppose the place to begin just to start with is that Saturday was the first time the fans really uh, voted with their voices about what's going on right now. They They've been incredibly patient. They've been kind of watching in a kind of uneasy silence for, for most of Graham Potter's reign. And there have been a few incidents with, with the odd few that sort of shouting at Graham Potter. But, but Saturday was a, was a public vote against him, both the half-time boos, the full-time boos. Um, where I sit in the press box, you can hear fans shouting directly at Graham Potter after the final whistle, resign, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and Graham Potter was asked about some of the things shouted in his direction. I'm very uh, familiar with this facial expression of haunted Chelsea manager looks when things are going really, really badly. And, and he is wearing that now. He, he's clearly feeling the pressure. I've got a lot of sympathy for him. He's a, he's a very nice man, but very nice men rarely succeed at Chelsea Football Club. I have a lot of sympathy with him as well, particularly with that chant of you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Because 
I wouldn't blame him if he came out and went, do you know what? At the moment, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. By yeah. saying that, Simon, I mean that I'm on his side yes. there. I'm not I'm not actually accusing him of not, of not knowing what he's I know, doing. Yeah, but I know I what he's say, saying. It'd be perfectly understandable for, for anybody within this club at the moment to go, what the hell? He's essentially not worked with a settled squad since the day he arrived. The, the, for the first, before the January window, of course, that was due to an incredible amount of injuries um, without key players. Very little has been sort of said, for example, the fact that N'Golo Conte, one of Chelsea's best players, one of the best players in the Premier League, hasn't played since August. Um, any team is going to miss that. Then, of course, the, the craziness of Chelsea's January window. So on, on top of the players he, he's already trying to get to know that he's rarely had to work with because they've been injured, he's suddenly got all these other players to work with. So I'm not sort of saying you get the violin out. And of course, he, he recently said Chelsea's the toughest job in football. And that got a lot of attention. I was like, what are you talking about? How can it possibly be the toughest job in football? I totally understood what he meant because the expectations and the pressure at Chelsea is extreme. And, and yes, other managers have much smaller budgets to work with and have different kind of pressures, but... They won't be having to do this their job under the same level of scrutiny as, as he has to. I always hear a line like that and think, okay, well, what would Jim Bentley say, who's in charge of Rochdale, who are bot- bottom of the football league? And- yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, though, is, is that the, yeah. the, there are there are different tough jobs, aren't there? But Jim Bentley's not working under the same level as national, international scrutiny as Graham Potter is. So, you know, it's apples and oranges, isn't it? But there's no doubt he's struggling to to know what his best team is. And that fundamentally is why Chelsea play like strangers right now. I mean, I used the word chaos there, David. Behind the scenes, what do you hear? Are they, are they calm? Yeah, they are, relatively. They know they need results. Nobody's unaware of that. They're not stupid. But equally, the sentiment, the vision behind the scenes is quite different to that which we're feeling within the stadium, on social media, taking it inside. They're squarely behind Graham Potter. Uh, they believe that uh, of all of the problems that they have to deal with and issues and challenges, he is not one of the primary focuses right now. They have taken over the club a year ago. Uh, they've had two extremely busy transfer windows. They've had a change of manager. They have embarked upon this youth drive, which sees a lot of players of a tender age come in who are going to need time and patience and hard work. They've had a huge amount of injuries. They've had very few games with uh, the bulk of these new players available. Uh, Potter is really well regarded throughout the game. I'm not an apologist for him. That's just what the feeling is among people that have worked with him, have seen him, have spoken to him, who know and analyse these things far better than us. And they suggest that he's going to continue to have a a really good career, club, international level, wherever that may be. But the circumstances at Chelsea are incredibly unique. He hasn't had a pre-season. So that would be needed in most circumstances, let alone when the squad has been completely transformed. It continues to be transformed. And so the sense I get is that there's patience. They they acknowledge there's a need for results. There's a huge game next Sunday away to Tottenham and Graham Potter needs to start to deliver. But as we revealed in the Monday column the week before this, Chelsea are hoping, intending to judge Graham Potter 
in years, not in months or games. They want him to have more time to work with what they've got. They want him to have a pre-season. They want him to have at least another transfer window and, and potentially more. And they are aiming to stand by that stance. They hope that he will be the man to lead them forward long term. And I know that won't be well received by a lot of fans, especially on social media who want to change. But and you never know in these situations. We said similar things around Unai Emery when Arsenal were backing him. You're backing someone until you're not. And if things get so bad and untenable and poisonous, and if the players go, then things can change. But that's certainly not the situation as things stand. Do they admit that they have been part of the problem as well? I mean, Graham Potter afterwards insisted that he's not the problem. When they hear the vitriol at full time and so on and so forth on Saturday, do they admit that they have caused some of this with the incredible flurry of players that have come in? And if so, do they have any plans to sort of take the heat off Potter a bit and I don't mean a vote of com- I don't mean a vote of confidence because that would be terrible but <laughs> I haven't heard ad- admissions of guilt explicitly but no doubt these people are clever enough to know that the turbulence that the club has experienced is not really conducive to Potter necessarily succeeding in the immediate term that would be a dream for Chelsea I'm sure but they're realists no doubt and they articulated very early on that Potter wouldn't be judged on whether Chelsea qualify for the Champions League this season and the amount of upheaval that's taken place not only in that playing personnel but look behind the scenes as well they've made a raft of appointments so many of the key people involved in the Abramovich era have gone they've now got these executives leading on the football side in the case of Paul Wynn Stanley of Lawrence Stewart, of Joe Shields, of Christopher Vivell. They're changing in the medical department. I think there's appreciation that the circumstances that the new ownership are bringing about at Chelsea buys Potter some time and patience and understanding and there's sympathy. Of course, they're not going to sack themselves, although Todd Bowley did leave his uh, initial interim position as sporting director. And we know who tends to pay the price of continued failure or underachievement. But I do think there's a delineation between the old Chelsea hierarchy regime ownership and the new one. They are going to do things differently, it would appear. They clearly felt one way about Thomas Tuchel, which many of us will feel is harsh from a footballing perspective in particular. He just led them to the Champions League title and is regarded as one of the foremost coaches in the game. And Graham Potter is not regarded and was not at that same level. But they've made their decision and I don't see them wavering from it for the time being. And there's quite a lot of affection from Chelsea fans towards Tuchel, isn't there, Simon? That that shouldn't be ignored in all of this partly because of what he delivered with with the Champions League but actually with how he held the club together through a very difficult period under the the final days of Abramovich so he was and is one of the more loved of Chelsea head coaches over the last 20 years, isn't he? Oh, for sure. He, he he ranks right up there with Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti. That, that's the kind of regard he's held in because he gave them the second Champions League. I mean, the, the job he did was phenomenal. And, and as you rightly point out, Mark, his persona is of a different elite to Graham Potter. Graham Potter 
expresses himself in a very balanced way, but it does not tug at the heartstrings of the Chelsea fan base in the same way that Thomas Tuchel, who's out there, he, he's openly sort of fighting for Chelsea Football Club. We, we, we saw perhaps Thomas Tuchel would have reacted in a far different way to the penalty that wasn't given at West Ham in, in the really sort of calm, measured way that, that Graham Potter did. And there's no doubt that, that Potter succeeding Tuchel is one of the obstacles he's faced from day one because he is replacing one of the most popular managers in Chelsea's history. And what the fan base don't remember, of course, and of course it, this is inevitably going to be deleted from their minds in the current circumstances, is the downturn started under Thomas Tuchel. He lost eight of his last 21 games in charge, including a loss at Southampton at the start of the season. And at Leeds, the, the, the wheels had started to fall off before Graham Potter even arrived in the building. But of course, no one wants to talk about that right now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Forget your, with your Chelsea hat on, Simon. Just as as football fans and journalists and people in the media, isn't it strange how we look... I, and I do this myself. Graham Potter as Brighton manager, always reasonable, always decent, will never complain about a refereeing decision, 
and will often praise the opposition. And you go, oh my God, how refreshing is that? That I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, that, that's what we want. And then the last couple of weeks, he stays very calm about the Thomas Suchek handball and then is full of praise for Southampton. On the one hand, you sort of go, well, I can understand that. That's very decent of you. And then on the other side, you think, hang on a minute, you should be going berserk over that Suchek penalty. And why are you praising the opposition when you're Chelsea manager? And I can't work out in my head why you suddenly view someone differently depending on who they manage. Can either of you? Do you do the same? There's a big manager, big club mentality, and we're conditioned by it. Um, I remember David Moyes going into Manchester United, did a brilliant job at Everton. He's a really good man. He's largely done a good job um, elsewhere in his career as well. But something just did not feel right. He didn't look comfortable. I was in many of his press conferences at United. He carried a different demeanour, that the job weighed differently on his shoulders, the responsibilities, uh, the pressure, the expectation, the scrutiny over every word you utter. Much of what Graham Potter said and did was not scrutinised Brighton and certainly not to the same extent it is at Chelsea. We're not saying things that everybody doesn't know. He didn't sort of have to win every game at Brighton or it was a crisis, whereas that is the case at the top level of management. Take Nathan Jones just recently, you know, really good job at Luton. He would appear to have ticked all the boxes for Southampton and Rasmus Ankerson on data, on analytics, on style of play. Try and transition that into a dressing room with bigger egos, Premier League expectations, a different way of working, and suddenly it's an unmitigated disaster. And the way he talks, which wasn't really picked up on in his previous roles at Luton, is suddenly poured over in minute detail. And that starts to get to these guys as well. You saw Nathan Jones have some little outbursts. I remember Moyes doing it at Man United and plenty more besides. Um, and unfortunately, it tends to end in one way. It's very rare that they turn it around on the on the long run. Mikel Arteta did at Arsenal. And that's something that I think the Chelsea hierarchy are acutely aware of. There were so many people calling for Arteta's head in the early stages of last season around September time. And they scraped past Norwich uh, 1-0 at the Emirates and then beat Burnley, won the North London derby and they were on a run. So you need a break to turn it around. But he was almost expected to be at the top level of management after he was schooled by Pep Guardiola. He had played for Arsenal. And so it's just, it's partly mental and it's partly precedent. I wonder what it says about us more than <laughs> what it says about them. Sometimes that's all. That we're grossly I, unfair. I, the, yeah, that we are grossly yeah. unfair and, and partly sort of think, well, can you be can you be reasonable and nice and manage a top six club? I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, in terms of how you express yourself. Certainly as Chelsea manager, I've seen Chelsea managers in the past, you know, react totally differently, as I sort of mentioned, to the C-check handball. And they would have been castigated for lack of class, etc. This is a terrible way to behave. In Graham Potter's situation, yeah, she sort of said, look, you know, I, I am what I am sort of thing, but... If he'd have gone and, and gone into the press conference and, and lost his call, which would have been great for us as, as media, but it could have easily been portrayed as the pressure's getting to him, he's losing the plot, this is a sign, the job's getting... So it, I, I always find in our industry, there seems to be a very fine line between also how we interpret things. You know, there the, the, the does seem to be a bit of a swingometer. 
to the very same way of acting can can lead to two different conclusions, which doesn't seem fair. But if you're the Chelsea fan base, and this is why I raised it, if you're the fan base that are used to vocal managers fighting for their cause, fighting for their club, Graham Potter isn't going to convince them that he's fighting for them, unfortunately, with 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 this very dignified way of behaving. Mind you, I hasten to add, Mark, Carlo Ancelotti was not someone who spoke out and was very, very respected for the classy way he handled the media, the players, etc. So it can be done. But then Carlo Ancelotti's CB is quite phenomenal. Two players to talk about then. I mentioned Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at the top of the podcast and we'll come on to him in just a second. Mason Mount, first of all. And I wonder I wonder whether his, his contract talks are on hold, David, aren't they? That's the top line in your column. So, so the situation, first of all, and then Simon can tell us how concerned and concerning this may be for Chelsea fans. Yeah, it's been well documented that Chelsea and Mason Mount have been in contract negotiations and it hasn't really gone to plan, which is a source of concern, I guess, depending on what side of the debate you sit on. But he's a player who joined Chelsea at the age of six, came through their academy, top talent, uh, won the Champions League with them and has been highly influential for club and country in that period. He's out of contract in the summer of 2024 and numerous reports suggesting that things were looking okay, were not looking okay, back and forward. And it's come to the point now after uh, several proposals were presented to him by Chelsea in the summer of 2021 and then in the autumn and they were rejected that the conversations are now not ongoing. They've been paused, stopped, halted, call it what you like, as Chelsea and Mount focus on trying to finish strongly in the season, their Premier League and Champions League aspirations. And then the dialogue will be picked up in the summer in some shape or form. And it's a clear one or the other in the mind of Chelsea. He signs a new contract and we're not saying that that's the offer on the table. There's always a negotiation to be had when the conversation resumes. But he signs a new contract or he's going to be sold because they don't want him going into his final 12 months. Going forward, they don't want anyone going into their final two years of contract. But it's now quite a straightforward situation. So contract offers have been rejected. Talks are not ongoing. They will resume in the summer and Chelsea will either renew him to a new contract or they'll sell him. Uh, there's been quite widely reported interest from the likes of Liverpool. I'm sure there would be a market for Mason Mount. And another thing in this is where they place him in the salaries. Reese James renewed in, I think it was September. They've come through in a sort of similar pattern from the youth ranks. And I don't think Chelsea would feel it would be fair to take Mason Mount beyond where Reese James is. And if they're going to need to be in a similar bracket, the offer's going to have to come. Mason Mount's going to have to agree to it. And if not, it looks like they'll part ways. And therefore, how concerning is that for Chelsea fans, Simon, if in the midst of this new era, they allow, in inverted commas, one of their own to go? Massively concerning. He, he, he had a banner in his honour uh, before the Southampton game unfurled across the Matthew Harding's end. Um, he's a very, very popular figure up there with, with Rhys James. 
he's always one of the last players to leave the leave the pitch. He will, no matter what the result, he will go and applaud them. They identify with him. When I was looking out on the pitch on Saturday, and he was sort of thinking, this is what they need. They need players like Mason Mount, Reese James, to be there because someone who gets the club, everyone else, they've they've only been there five minutes, most of them. Um, they've got no idea of the Chelsea DNA and I've always thought that's very important I've seen it obviously with John Terry John Terry was crucial one of his crucial roles was that linchpin in the dressing room that knew, that knows what Chelsea's all about and Mason Mount is one of those of course he, his form is under a lot of scrutiny but I wrote last summer that this was this was a problem like that Mason Mount and Rhys James was a problem and Rhys James and Mount they opened negotiations up at the same time the fact that Mount is still unsigned speaks volumes about how the negotiation process is, is going. If I was a Chelsea fan, as David is, is reported and intimated then, I'd be very concerned that, that Mason Mel won't be a Chelsea player next season. It is, it is a very, very... It's got to real nadir, this situation. And, and one of the problems, of course, is it's not just about the money. There's a lot being said about the money, what what he's supposedly claiming, etc., asking for. But there's a, it's a very complicated negotiation, something that Graham Potter inferred in his press conference ahead of the Southampton game. Length of contract is also a big, big issue because the new owners want their players, as we've seen with some of their renegotiations with the players they already own and the ones they're signing, they want them on six, seven, eight-year deals. Well, from my understanding, Mason Mount doesn't want to stay that long. It's not a, it's, it's not a sign of lack of commitment, etc. It's very, very difficult for English players that are, that are used to sort of four or five-year deals to suddenly sign the rest of their, essentially, their career away. Um, it, it leaves that the power balance is all in the club's hands. So that is a major, major bone of contention. But of course, in football, like we're kind of intimating with Graham Potter, things can turn around that, you know, a phone call could be placed at any moment and suddenly they're back in the room together. But I, I do think this is a very dangerous decision also by the owners. I understand totally why they can't afford to let another player leave. Even though they inherited this problem, they're very upset that Rudiger and Christensen left for nothing. And it and it was a very, very poorly handled situation for Chelsea to lose two international defenders that, that would command huge fees in the market for nothing. And they don't want to repeat of that, and rightly so. But at the same time, to lose Mason Mount, a very popular member among the match-going fans, that won't go down very well with the fan base. Simon makes a really pertinent point on the length of contract. I don't think many of these English players, whether it be Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, especially the younger ones, are going to want to sign these hugely long contracts on relatively low salaries um, that Chelsea are trying to overhaul their squad with. Um and that could put some of these English players on a collision course with that mentality. Of course, there are reports that FIFA are trying to curtail those long contracts, so it could take the matter out of their hands. But um, there is a wider picture here in that Chelsea are undergoing a midfield rebuild. Um, it started with the likes of Enzo Fernandez, Andre Santos, who will be coming in at some point, Carney Chukwameka. Uh, you've seen Jorginho leave. Uh, there are conversations with N'Golo Kante over a new contract that are moving in a positive direction 
direction. And so it will be intriguing to see what level of nostalgia or empathy or, or respect the new owners have for the homegrown player who's come all the way and, and is definitely viewed around football in an elite bracket of midfielders and where he fits into that and how much stock this ownership will place on some of those intangibles and some of the deeper factors rather than just playing a numbers game, looking at names from around world football, rebuilding your midfield. I think there is a lot at stake here as Simon lays out. Thiago Silva did well, this is Aubameyang! And on his Premier League debut for Chelsea, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang opens his account for his new club. Speaking of collision courses, Simon, further up the field, where is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? I was having a lovely time, Mark, you know. He's... On his sofa. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's having a very relaxed... I, I've got a lot of sympathy for him mm-hmm. for so many reasons. People forget that he got his career back on track at Barcelona... Then there was the awful personal situation he went through just before his move to Chelsea. He get, he signs for Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel, a manager that he he's worked under before, Borussia Dortmund, and within a week that manager is gone. In saying that, he showed no evidence of that being a problem at that point. Um, he scored three goals in three games, including home and away against AC Milan in the Champions League. I, I saw him quite a few times down the training ground with a massive smile on his face. He looked like he was loving life. And suddenly, the, it, it, yeah, exactly, you raised the question, where is he? What's going on? And a bit like Lukaku, there's no doubt that when he was playing, suddenly he was just out of the game. Um, if you remember the Arsenal game, for example, which for obvious reasons, it got a lot of attention uh, given it was against his former club, he barely got a kick of the ball. But he needs service, and 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 the irony is, is that that Chelsea have now signed the kind of players that can give him the service in players like Joao Felix and Fernandez, but he's not there to benefit from it. Um, and I just think it's an indication that his future isn't at Chelsea. So they're planning for those that do have a future at Chelsea. For example, Datri Fofana started his first game, one of the new signings on Saturday and Aubameyang was out the squad. He started that game on Saturday, Simon, after Graham Potter had said on Aubameyang during the week, he's been training really well, a really good professional. Yes, but he's going to say things like that. He's not going to criticise Aubameyang. We're almost going back to what we were discussing earlier. He's not going to come out and, and, and sort of say, yes... Bamiang is doing this and the other, but he's not going to feature anyway. And and so what you're hearing, he yeah, he is being a professional. He's, he's he's doing what he's expected, but I don't think he's going to be changing anybody's mind anytime soon. Okay, I get your point that they're planning for the future, and he might not be around for that future. But if you need a goal scorer, and you mentioned what he did in La Liga for Barcelona, he got 11 in 17 in La Liga for Barcelona. So you need a goal scorer. Why not put him in your Champions League squad instead of Christian Pulisic, who's currently injured, or Hakim Ziyech, who ought to be a Paris Saint-Germain player if someone could have worked a fax machine or whatever it was that they they stuffed up. Because the argument is, Simon, that Ziyech and probably Pulisic aren't going to be part of Chelsea long-term in the future. So why not go with your need 
rather than trying to keep other people sweet. I think the Champions League squad decision is more baffling than the Premier League squad decision because, as you point out, there are players in that Champions League squad who could come back from injury after Chelsea have been knocked out of the Champions League because they played Dortmund in the second leg in a few weeks' time and I don't expect Christian Pulisic to be a part of that. Now, of course, maybe they'll argue that, oh, they're thinking beyond Dortmund and, and what happens in the in the knockout rounds afterwards when he is a fit and available. But I, I think you, you should ha- go with the current need of getting past Dortmund. And certainly it, see, it seems odd that, that he was cut from there because they played well in the first leg. And wouldn't it be great, you don't necessarily have to start with him, but wouldn't it be great in the last 10, 15 minutes just to, just to have that possibility of, of bringing him on because Dacho Fafana isn't in that squad so you're essentially down to Kai Havertz and, and Joao Felix to to get you a goal and and, and neither of them are out and out strikers which whereas Aubameyang is with with a with a very good goal record although I hasten to add that people are looking at Aubameyang and sort of assessing his past achievements rather than looking at for example what he was doing in a Chelsea shirt for a few months there between October and, and, and January, and essentially, where he went on a very, very long goal-scoring drought and, and did look a bit out of place in the Chelsea team. David? This is one I think needs to be explained from the club's perspective, whether it be from one of the sporting directors who in continental or US sport or global sport tend to talk more than the coach. It doesn't really happen here, but this feels like there may be a need for it because the actions of Graham Potter in selection don't really marry with his words and it leaves the suspicion, I'm sure among most of us, that there is something deeper to this, which is troubling when everything you hear from your sources and contacts is that he's done nothing wrong, he's trained impeccably, um, he's a good influence around the camp. He didn't ask to leave Barcelona. Chelsea went and got him. And yeah, there was a bit of manoeuvring with Marcus Alonso, but he came over, he played with a broken jaw. Okay, he might not have set the world light, but he didn't do anything terribly wrong from what I remember. They've now got a 20-year-old Ivorian from Molda, who many of us expected to go out on loan when he arrived, leading the line for Chelsea Football Club. When there's an immediate need for goals, which are not coming, and you've got a proven goal scorer who, unlike what was said in the Arsenal situation, from the club's perspective, has given no cause for him not being even in the equation. And the only conclusion I have is that something proper needs to be explained. Clearly, he has dropped down the pecking order behind the likes of Datro Fofana. Clearly, Chelsea crunched the numbers and run the analytics and don't feel he was producing to the levels they wanted him to. But who is now? And Chelsea have an urgent situation on their hands that needs to be resolved if they're going to finish the season with credibility. He can't influence the Champions League, but he can influence the Premier League. And most people would suggest take advantage of that. Those two things are are really quite important there, Simon, aren't they? One, if this decision is being made by someone higher up, they need to they need to explain that because it puts Graham Potter in a very difficult position. And and also <laughs> they need goals in the Premier League and and he's available. I mean and and there are there are there are all these new signings. Play him, see what happens, because he can't do any worse than than what's than what's there at the moment. Exactly, the decision looks worse every time Chelsea play. 
and don't score. And Kai Havertz is what is someone that that is leading the line on a regular basis and isn't isn't scoring. People are going to be asking questions: Why isn't Aubameyang at least on the bench? Um, it, it doesn't make much sense. David is right. And in terms of communication, I mean Chelsea Chelsea have never been the most communicative club uh, in terms of from up up high. But of course, that was the old era. Under the new era. I'm sure everyone was hoping um, that that things might change a little bit. Um, and so far, certainly publicly, there hasn't been much communicated from from people up top. Now, maybe like, it has been, as we sort of started the show, it's been a very hectic, incredibly sort of manic period of time for everyone involved at that club that are trying to do things. But maybe when things calm down a little, uh, someone will actually talk from up high publicly on the record. I do have great sympathy for Bamiang. I, I, I do. Uh, even even though he he went through a run of games, he, he, I think it's gone into double figures the amount of games he didn't score in himself. I, I I just find his personal situation, the twelve months he's had, well, it was less than twelve months, of course. I think he he, he can't help but feel sympathy for him that. That he joins a club and then and and then so soon he's, he's kind of persona non grata. He's been stuffed, and for, yeah. and for a player who's had his behaviour picked over in in the past, it's only fair to go the other way and go yes. actually. Whilst he may not have behaved brilliantly towards a club in the past, in this occasion he feels like he's the victim. And he's been sent a massive message. He's not wanted by his admission from the Champions League squad. So. So immensely, that is that is going to be very difficult for any top top pro. And of course, this guy has played at the very highest level. You can imagine how how painful it must be to miss out on a game against Borussia Dortmund, his former club, where his reputation was basically built as a phenomenal goal scorer. You know, this this is Chelsea Football Club, Mark. You know that if. I always feel like I'm having to explain the unexplainable. We will leave it there. Thank you, David. Thank you, Simon. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber, take advantage of the offer that's there at the moment. £1.99 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.